0: You're listening to the Luca's Italy podcast, with food, culture and history from the land of Parmigiano and Perugina. I'm Luca Marchiori, and today I'll be talking about a cheese which in some ways is Italy's champagne. There are many cheeses which throughout history have been called the king of cheeses. For the French, it was Epoisse, uh, one of my favourite cheeses. It's like a a really rich, creamy Camembert, which was branded such by Napoleon. For the British, it's Stilton, that beautiful, creamy blue cheese. And for the Italians, it's one of their most famous and also protected products, Parmigiano-Reggiano, commonly known as Parmesan cheese. Now, I'm sure Parmigiano-Reggiano needs no introduction, but just in case... It's a hard cheese classified as pasta dura by the Italians. This means it's a granular cheese and it's quite salty, but also tangy with a sort of mouth puckering umami when you eat a really good piece of mature parmesan. It's also lauded for its nutritional value. And although it's made from cow's milk, it's suitable for those who are lactose intolerant because the lactose naturally disappears as part of the process of making it. And it's produced in large wheels with a distinctive barrel shape, which weigh about 40 kilos, and which, depending on the quality, can cost many hundreds of euros. Now, like the French champagne, Parmigiano-Reggiano is subject to very strict criteria, enshrined in EU law and enforced by the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium. Even similar products made adjacently in Italy, such as Grada Padano, have to use a different name. Now, its fame, its quality and its high price have attracted a lot of copies and even fakes over the years. Um, In the EU, even the English name Parmesan is protected, but outside the EU it's not. And therefore, there are many products on sale outside the EU labelled as Parmesan, which are not Parmigiano-Reggiano. And this is particularly prevalent in the United States and also the Ukraine, where they famously make a Ukrainian Parmesan. Now, when I was a kid growing up in 1970s Britain, we used to bring Parmesan back from Italy uh, in the summer in the car because the only available product in the UK was already grated in a carton with a plastic top. And we called it fish food as the container, the consistency and also the taste was very similar. And this was pre-EU, so it was labelled as Parmesan cheese, even though it had probably never seen the other side of the English Channel. Of course, now Britain is outside the EU, I await with dread the return of British Parmesan. And um, especially after the EU wouldn't protect the name cheddar, which is the name of the village in England where the cheese originates and is still made, on the grounds that it was a generic name. um, To be fair, there is a protected status for the phrase West Country farmhouse cheddar. Now, there was a very interesting article in Forbes back in 2012 that said that many consumers were unaware of the naming conventions and uh, and of the protected status of the name. And they were buying things called Parmesan cheese, expecting them to be Parmigiano-Reggiano, but in fact they weren't. So, if you want to be sure that you're buying the original product, either look for the PDO, that's Protected Designation of Origin Mark, which the EU produces, or buy stuff which is called Parmigiano-Reggiano because that name is protected. And if it's called Parmigiano-Reggiano, it has to be the real thing. So what are the characteristics of real Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese? Well, the first thing is that it has to be made in a specific location, mostly in the Italian region of Emilia-Romagna. And the rules say that it has to be made in the provinces of Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena, Bologna to the left of the river Reno, and Mantova to the right of the river Po. Now the name obviously comes from the name of the first two towns, Parma, Parmigiano meaning from Parma, and Reggiano meaning from Reggio Emilia. And this was the original production zone of the cheese when it was developed, which then historically grew a little bit to include those other provinces which I mentioned. Now, the second thing is the ingredients. There are only three ingredients allowed. Milk, which is unpasteurized raw milk, rennet, and salt. Now, the milk also has to come from cows raised in the production area, and there are very strict rules according to what the cows can eat as well. And the third rule is that the cheese has to be matured for a minimum of 12 months, but it can also be matured up to as we'll see, 48 months. So this attachment to place means that Parmigiano-Reggiano has very distinctive taste and very distinctive qualities which come from the ecosystem of that area. Most of the cows which are used to make the milk are of the Italian Frisian breed, which came to the area at the end of the 19th century from Holland. There are also smaller numbers of three other breeds. Um, Firstly, the white Modernese cow, which is a local breed, which comes from older historical breeds from that area. The brown cow, which is originally Swiss, but came to the area in the 18th century. And the red cow, or the vacca rossa, which is the original local breed of cow. So how's Parmigiano-Reggiano actually made? Well, the process is surprisingly simple. Firstly, the milk is poured into large copper vats and allowed to coagulate with the rennet and also a whey starter, which comes from the cheese that was made the day before. Now it takes up to 550 liters of milk to make one form of cheese, one wheel, and typically a vat will hold double that. So once it's coagulated, the mixture is heated to about 55 degrees centigrade, and the curds crystallize and begin to separate and fall to the bottom. And at this point, the cheesemaker helps this process by using a tool which is known as the spinor. And this looks like a giant honey server. It's got a big long wooden handle and at the end is like a cage made of wire and the cheesemaker stirs the cheese with this. And this, as I say, helps the curds to fall to the bottom. Now this lasts for about 50 minutes. Then the curds are collected and they're wrapped in a cloth to make the distinctive shape of the Parmesan cheese. A few days later, these wheels are then bathed in a salt solution, and then they're put on a shelf and left to mature for 12 months. After 12 months, an inspector comes from the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium. He takes each wheel, places his ear close to it, and then taps it gently with a little hammer. And the inspector's been trained to hear what a good Parmesan cheese should sound like, and he can hear any imperfections, which mean that the cheese is of a lesser quality. And he'll then classify the cheese into one of three classifications. The first classification is first quality, the second classification is medium quality, and the third classification is inferior quality, which doesn't meet the standards of parmigiano-reggiano. And in this case, the rind, which will have the maker's mark and also the name Parmigiano-Reggiano on it, has to be removed because the cheese cannot be sold as Parmigiano-Reggiano. Now, some of the cheese will then be sold and some of it will be put back on the shelf to mature for longer. Now, as I said before, the cheese can mature for up to 48 months, four years, and there are four different classifications of the cheese depending on how long it's been allowed to mature. Cheese which has been matured for between 12 and 19 months is known as Delicato, and this is eaten as aperitif cheese with white wine. Cheese which is matured for between 20 and 26 months is labelled as balanced cheese, and this is the cheese which is used most commonly in Italian cooking. Cheese which has been matured for 27 to 34 months is known as aromatic, and this is either used in cooking or is eaten with red wine normally. And finally, cheese which has been matured for more than 35 months is known as Intense, and this is usually eaten with good quality red wine. Now, if you look at the region in which Parmigiano-Reggiano is allowed to be made, some of it is in the Apennine Mountains, and in fact, about 20% of Parmigiano-Reggiano is made in the Apennine region. And obviously, this gives the cheese slightly different characteristics, And so there is a special label for cheese made in the mountain regions. And there are also officially recognised kosher, halal and organic versions of Parmigiano-Reggiano. So what's the history of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese? Now, based on some of the podcasts that I've done recently, I expect you're sitting there waiting for me to say that it's actually not as old as you think, and in fact, it was invented just after the Second World War. But in fact, this is not the case, and Parmigiano-Reggiano has a very old history, which is not based on myths and legends, but is based on documented historical fact. So, the cheese was invented in the medieval period, by monks who owned land between the cities of Parma and Reggio Emilia, and it was developed using a local salt. About 35 kilometres from Parma is a town called Salso Maggiore Terme, and this was noted in medieval times for its salt mines. Now, we don't know exactly when these monks started making the cheese, but we know that it has to have been before the year 1254. Because in that year, there's a notarized deed from the city of Genova, which mentions Parmesan cheese. And so, because this is in Genova, quite a long way from Parma, um, it seems that the cheese has already spread there. So, we're probably talking at least 100, possibly even 200 years before that they started making the cheese in the Parma area. Now, in 1348, Italy and most of Europe was hit by a pandemic. And this became known as the Black Death. And during this pandemic, a writer called Giovanni Boccaccio started writing a book in which several noble people who were all under lockdown just outside Florence passed the time by telling each other stories. Now, the book was completed in 1353. And in one of the stories, the storyteller describes a perfect land. And this contains the following passage. In a zone known as Bengodi, where they tie up the vines with sausages and you can buy a goose for one coin with a duck thrown in, there was a mountain of grated Parmesan cheese, on top of which there were people who did nothing else than make macaroni and ravioli and cook them in capon broth. Then they chucked them down and the more you could collect, the more you could have. Now, apart from being one of the first examples of completely surrealist writing... This passage is important for several reasons in our history of Parmesan cheese. First of all, remember that this is describing the perfect land. So obviously for Boccaccio, one of the characteristics of the perfect land was that it was filled with Parmesan cheese. Now the second thing is that he mentions macaroni and ravioli in connection with the Parmesan cheese. So already at this date, people were obviously eating pasta with Parmesan cheese like they are today. Also, Boccaccio was from Florence, which is part of the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, and technically a separate country from Parma, where the cheese was being made. And so this shows also that by this stage, the cheese had spread outside the zone of production. And certainly 200 years later, we find that the cheese is popular in Rome. Now, there's a letter which exists dated the 7th of August, 1511, from the English ambassador in Rome to King Henry VIII. And he mentions the fact that the Pope, Julius II, needs tin, presumably from Cornwall, in order to cover the roof of St. Peter's Basilica. Now, Pope Julius II is famous for doing an awful lot of work in the Vatican, not the least dismantling the existing St. Peter's Basilica in order for the current one to be built. And so I think this tin was probably some kind of temporary covering over the basilica to stop the rain getting in while the works were being done. But of course, he's also famous for being the man who commissioned the painting of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. And the letter mentions that as a goodwill gift for the king, the Pope was sending 100 Parmesan cheeses. So you can imagine, if you will, banquets in London at the court of King Henry VIII in 1512, including Parmesan cheese. So I don't know if this is the first time Parmesan cheese arrived in England but I think we can be pretty sure that by the early 16th century, the cheese was known there. Now, back in Rome, in 1570, Bartolomeo Scappi, who was the cook to popes Pius IV and Pius V, published a book of his recipes known as the Opera. And there are many recipes in this book using Parmesan cheese, which shows that it was in common use in Rome. And in fact, in the book, he says, Il parmigiano è il migliore di tutti i caci, which basically means, in his opinion, parmesan cheese was the best cheese in the world. And it's at this point that we find the first attempt to protect the name parmigiano and to regulate how it's being made. Now, on the 7th of August, 1612, Duke Ranuccio II of Parma issued a decree, which in effect is the first PDO law that we have anywhere in Europe. And this decree fixes the area in which the cheese has to be made for it to be called parmigiano. So already we can see that in the early 17th century, the people of Parma and the cheese producers were worried about competition and fakes. Now back to England and in September 1666, there was an event which is now known as the Great Fire of London. In which a fire, which started in a baker's shop, raged and razed most of the city in a few days, giving Sir Christopher Wren the opportunity to rebuild most of the city and give it the look which it has today. And the famous diarist, Samuel Pepys, was there in London at the time and gives us a very detailed account of what happened during the fire. And on Tuesday, the 4th of September, 1666, he writes Sir W. Penn and I to Tower Street and there met the fire burning three or four doors beyond Mr. Howells, whose goods, poor man, his trays and dishes, shovels, etc., were flung all along Tower Street in the kennels, and people working therewith from one end to the other, the fire coming in on that narrow street on both sides with infinite fury. Sir W. Batten, not knowing how to remove his wine, did dig a pit in the garden and laid it in there and I took the opportunity of laying all the papers of my office that I could not otherwise dispose of. And in the evening, Sir W. Penn and I did dig another and put our wine in it, and I, my Parmesan cheese, as well as my wine and some other things. So that's really interesting that in this great conflagration, Samuel Pepys was worried about protecting three things. One, his important documents, two, his wine, and three, his Parmesan cheese. Now, there are many, many more mentions of Parmesan cheese in literature from the 17th century onwards, and um, I think I could do a whole podcast just reading them out. But I think all of this shows that Parmigiano-Reggiano not only has a very long history, but has always been a characteristic ingredient of Italian cooking, just as it is today. And today, it pervades every aspect of Italian cooking from every region of Italy. In Parma itself, it's used in one of what is my favourite dishes – Known as the Rosa di Parma, the Rose of Parma, which basically is fillet steak, which has been flattened and then rolled up with Parma ham and Parmesan cheese inside, and then cooked in a Marsala sauce. But at its most simple level, it's used all over Italy as a condiment for pasta. And in fact, as Boccaccio suggests, One of the oldest, but also most simple combinations has been pasta with Parmesan cheese and butter, which makes a very simple and creamy sauce, which in some parts of the world is known as pasta alfredo. So thank you once again for listening and for all the ratings and reviews. I received some really good statistics this week, which shows that the podcast is ranking very well in certain countries around the world. So if you're in Ireland, the United Kingdom or Sweden, um, as well as the United States, thank you very much for listening and putting my podcast high up in your rankings. I'll be back next week with another slice of Italian food, culture and history. So all that remains is for me to say thank you, have a great week and ciao.